Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, in Ahmaduhu, when a stay in who, when a stock filled who, when Minubihi, when a tobacco alley, when all the Billah, he means Shuruti and Fusina, when men say at Malina, my Yahdihilla, who fell a modilla lava, my Yudlid, who fell a hadiella, when I should have a la ilaha illa law, who was the Hula Shiri Kala, when I should have Anna Sayyidina, was Sanadina, was Shafi, and Mohammedan Abduhu, or a Sulu, Amabad. So we are going to start uh, the fifth juz, inshallah. And I repeat again, as I try to do every night, uh, that we are just doing a selection of ayahs from the Jews of Qur'an al-Karim, simply based on few verses that we selected due to our own reflections or because of their uh, special import in developing our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And broadly speaking, I normally will gloss over uh, and not cover the verses that have a lot of legal aspects to them or a lot of historical detail. And all of this is just being done uh, to give people who perhaps are not fully yet, uh, or well, nobody's fully, but not yet deeply versed in Qur'an al-Karim, to get a little bit of an insight into certain verses of Qur'an. So we're now in Surah An-Nisa, Surah number 4, the start of the 5th Juz, which begins with Wal-Muhsanatu. And in that very same ayah, I'm going to look in the middle of the ayah. So let me just also say there's a lot uh, in this passage, in the in in the, this section of Qur'an that we'll be doing today on marriage uh, and I won't be talking so much about all the laws and rules about marriage but I'm going to highlight a few things uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions here as what we call usul or basic core principles when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning who you can marry and who you cannot marry Right. This is basically the gist of the verse that preceded, and this verse, and the verses after it. One thing Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says here: "وَأُهِلَّ لَكُمْ مَا وَرَاءَ ذَلِكُمْ أَنْ تَبْتَغُوا بِأَمْوَالِكُمْ مُحْسِنِينَ غَيْرَ مُسَافِهِينَ." So, and what is lawful, halal, permissible, permitted, lakum for you and to you for your own sake and benefit, is ma wara adalikum means what is other than that, other than. In the top of this verse and the previous verse, Allah Ta'ala mentioned the women who are not lawful to marry. Other than those whom Allah Ta'ala specifically prohibited, the rest of the women are permissible to marry in terms of their category. All right. But Allah Ta'ala then gives us another reason. That you should uh, seek using your wealth, means your ability to financially support them, giving them a meher. You should seek the women with a desire to be chaste. In other words, a desire to be married. Not with a desire to fulfill your lust. It means not in the desire of zina. And this ayah, or if you want this segment of this ayah, surah number 4 verse 24, right in the middle, makes it very clear what the Islamic teaching is. That zina is not allowed, and marriage is allowed. 
Alright, so this word muhsin, and this is with a ha and a sad. So muhsin, those of you who are studying Arabic, this is babi ifal. So ahsana yuhsanu ihsana, but this is with a sad. Alright, so the literal meaning of this is to make something firm, uh, to, to fortify something, to make it inaccessible, to seal it up. Alright, so it has two meanings. One meaning is if a person fortifies themselves, seals themselves up, it means to be chaste and to be pure and not to commit a sin. And the second meaning, so that's before marriage, and has a second meaning simultaneously is through marriage to fortify oneself and to seal oneself from zina. So that's also the Quranic concept, not just Islamic concept. So the concept number one is we should seek marriage and not zina. And the second concept, which unfortunately some people aren't on this reality, and Alaman al-Fis commit the sin of outright adultery, but it the Islamic understanding is that you must be chaste before marriage and stay away from zina. And then marriage itself is a means to further chastity because when one is married, then one is even further removed from zina. Alright? Uh, this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning here. So this is the principle. Verse 25, again, uh, I will mention, I will pluck out the principles here without looking into the very, very detailed legal rulings that are taking place in uh, across these different verses. So in the middle of verse 25 And you should bestow upon them and give them and grant them the ujur literally means the reward it means the meher which is, I'll just explain this, all of you would know this though, the meher is a gift uh, that the husband is supposed to give the wife. Bil uh, Marufi, in the, in, and I've explained to you before, Marufi is in a manner that is known to be noble, equitable, and fair between and amongst the people. Muhsanatin ghayra musafihatin, again, this word of doing it for chastity, yani as married women, not in the, for committing immorality, shamelessness, yani not for zina. Wala, wala and not for taking them as paramours, as lovers. Uh, so it's interesting that Allah Ta'ala added a third word here. Okay, above there were two words, Mohsinin, Ghayra Musafihin in 24. In 25, we had Mohsanatin, Ghayra Musafihatin, Wala Muttakhidati Akhdan. So the first two words are the same. Alright, above it was the male, here's the female. The third word is an interesting thing. So what Allah SWT is separating out, musafihat would be immorality, a crude, simple act of lust. And this next group is an act of love. So it means there's no lust outside marriage and there's no love outside marriage. That's basically what this ayah is trying to mention. All right. Now we move to, in the very end, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after mentioning all these different uh, rulings, also tells a person, 
uh, and this has to do with uh, a man who is not able to marry for it's a number of reasons. Well, antasbiru, so Allah Taala gave earlier in this verse, and those of you who are looking at the Quran and understand it, you can immediately see what I'm referring to. But because of shortage of time, I can open up that very very long discussion. So if there was a person who was unable to get married, Allah Taala gave a certain permission. But even to that person, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala saying what, and this is a very general principle. Well, antasbiru. But if instead of taking the ruksa, the dispensation, the license, the permission that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave due to your particular circumstance, it's better that you do sabr. And it's khair for you. Wallahu ghafuru rahim and Allah is all forgiving and all merciful. Now what does it mean? Previously, it was a permission from Allah Ta'ala. So why is Allah Subhanahu mentioning He is forgiving and merciful? So Allah Ghafuru Rahim means that if you can't do sabr, Allah will forgive you for not doing sabr. And His Rahim, He will send His mercy and hopefully give barakah to your taking that license and dispensation. So I'm plucking this out as a general teaching. That sometimes it may happen in deen that due to a particular set of circumstances, not something mean you can think of, that Islam, Quran and Sunnah, the Sharia has already established, not that mean you think of this, the Quran, the Sunnah and Sharia has already established that due to those particular circumstances, you may be allowed to do something, which in other, if it wasn't for those circumstances, it wouldn't be preferable. Or in some cases, if it wasn't for those circumstances, it wouldn't even be permissible. So the permission is there due to the circumstances. But the general principle is what? But if you do sabr and you wait. Now what does it mean? Number one means if you wait, maybe those circumstances will be removed. So let's say the case express a man is not able to marry, let's say because he doesn't have enough money. But if he waits, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ghafuru rahim. So the second part, rahim, Allah ta'ala, out his mercy, can send, change your circumstances and send risk so that you would be able to financially be able to support a wife. Khairul lakum, it is better for you. Alright? So this is a principle of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then in verse 26, I think is a very good way, a very good eye of Quran al to understand the overall philosophy of Sharia. Yuridullahu liyubayyina lakum wa yahdiyakum sunan alladheena min qablikum wa yutuba alaykum. Wallahu alimun hakim. And Allah subhanahu irada, his intent, his desire, his wish is to what? Litubayyina. Sorry, that he should make clear lakum to you for your sake, for your benefit. And that he wants to guide you to what? The sunan, which is plural of sunnas. The sunnas of those who came before you. In the sunnas of the rightly guided prophets that came before you. So in this verse, there's a notion of the continuity of sharia. A continuity of morality. And this was also something that the original recipients of Qur'an al-Kareem, the pre-Islamic Arabian uh, Peninsula inhabitants, were far from the sunnahs of the earlier Anbiya ajma'in as well. Whether they're mushrikeen or even from the Al-Kitab. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is guiding this ummah, not just to follow 
the specifics about the Sharia of Sayyidina Muhammad but also Allah Ta'ala bestowed upon this Ummah every single nobility, every virtue, every morality, every ethic that was brought from every, any and every single Prophet in the history of humanity So all of the Sunnahs of all of the Anbiya maybe some laws that are different in our Sharia but all of the Sunnahs in terms of their Akhlaq, their, their ethics, their morals, their attributes, their nobility, their ability to have sabr, their tawakkul, etc. All of that is the inheritance, the warasa of this ummah. And Allah subhanahu wa wants to turn to you in relentance, relenting to accept your repentance. Wallahu alimun hakim. And indeed, Allah subhanahu is all knowing and all wise. So always remember the sharia has been revealed by a being who is all knowing and all wise, and he did it for our sake and our benefit. Wallahu yuridu an yatuba alaykum and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wishes to turn to you and accept your repentance from you. Wa yuridu alladhina yattabi'una shahawati antamilu maylan adhima and on the flip side those who wish what? Those who have an irada and wish to follow their shahawat plural of shahwa their base desires, their passions so if you look at it previously, Allah SWT is talking specifically about lust for the opposite gender. So here it's generally being referred to any and all passions, but if you look at it with the immediate preceding ayahs, this is one of the things that keeps a person from Allah Taala's accepting their tawbah, that they keep following. And so those who but wish to follow the passions, antamilu melan adhima, and they want you to deviate, become ma'il, to deviate, to go astray, adhima, in a great, tremendous manner. Right? So what we learn from this, just pluck out the lesson, is that ittiba'i shahawat, following one's passions, leads a person, adhim, to be astray in a tremendous magnitude way. Right? Whereas Allah Whereas Allah Ta'ala wishes to lighten this burden from you. Means Allah Ta'ala wants you to enter a nikah in a pure way, to lighten this passion from you, to lighten the danger of going astray in this massive ma- massive magnitude of deviance. Allah Ta'ala wishes to lighten these things for you. And indeed, humanity was created by Allah intrinsically weak. So because insan is da'if, then there is takhfif for that insan. Alright? But again, this takhfif is not something me and you or any human being can rationally come up with on their own. What is easy? Allah Himself has already embedded into the Sharia that which lightens the burdens of humanity and and has designed the Sharia with full knowledge, Alimun Hakim, full knowledge and wisdom about the weaknesses of humanity. So therefore a person cannot make this argument. This is why I told you these verses are giving you the whole philosophy of Sharia. Person cannot make this argument that I'm weak and therefore I need to lessen my legal responsibility. It's built into the Sharia. Listen again. Listen again specifically, we are doing verse 28, surah number 4. ankum. Allah subhanahu himself has already intended to do takhfif, to lighten 
the burden from you. And Allah and humanity was created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala za'if. And earlier Allah ta'ala said he's alim al-hakim and he knows all of this. So any and all laxity, leeway, permissibility, softening is already built into the Sharia. Therefore there is no need for anyone to claim that they are a progressive, modernist, enlightened reformer of the Sharia if they say what that means is that they want to make it easier for humanity because humanity is weak. It's already known by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, verse number 29. Ya amanu la ta'kulu amwalakum baynakum bilbatili illa antakuna tijaratan antaradhim minkum. This is the umm usul, this is the mother principle of commerce and trade and financial transactions. And the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you remember in Rabah, Allah ta'ala uses verb as well, Surah Baqarah, ta'kulu from akal. To eat, to consume, to devour. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying you should literally, means you should not eat, consume, devour one another's wealth. Bilbatili, through falsehood, through injustice, false marketing, false claims. No, the only way you should actually engage in taking money of others is if it is tijaratan, if it is a form of business, trade, commerce, antarazim minkum, which is based on mutual tafa'ul, mutual tarazin, mutual uh, consent between and amongst you. So those of you who studied fiqh, you remember bitaradil aqidain. This was the core principle that the two contractual parties should mutually agree in consent. Otherwise, a person should neither part with their money without their consent and nobody should take the money from a person without their consent. And that consent should be done on the basis of truth, not on the basis of batil, on the basis of falsehood. Right? Uh, and this is the core principle of finance in our deen. Okay, 31. Going, skipping a little bit, now I'm going to verse 31. Allah Ta'ala says in Quran al-Karim, In tajtanibu kaba'ira Sallallahu is telling all the believers that if you can avoid, ijtinab means to entirely avoid, refrain, abstain completely, an absolute level from what? Kaba'ira. So Kaba'ira, this is the first time it's coming in Quran, it will come later. Maybe it came once before. Kaba'ir, the great sins. Remember, Allah SWT is Akbar, is Kabir. So that being who is Al-Akbar, Al-Kabir, if he refers to as a sin, and sins, this is the plural, as Kabair, then you can imagine how tremendous the magnitude of those sins are in Allah SWT's regard. So Allah SWT is saying that if you can entirely refrain, abstain, avoid from the great sins that are forbidden upon you, then what will happen? Nukafir ankum sayyatikum. Then Allah Ta'ala says we will remove from you, we will expiate from you. Sayyat, your sayyat means your sagair, your lesser mistakes, your smaller sins, your even literally it's from Su, so you can say your evil deeds. So then imagine something's even greater than sayyat, that's what the kabai are. They're greater than evil. 
So, and if you do that, so if you stay away from the kabair, Allah Ta'ala will forgive us for our sayyat. And secondly, And Allah SWT saying that we, yani I Allah Ta'ala, in my might and majesty and mercy, Allah Ta'ala says, will admit you into a mudkhalan karima. So this is from, uh, this is a entrance, this is zarf, right? A place of entering karima that is noble and virtuous and beautiful. Meaning that Allah Ta'ala will enter us into Jannah. So what is this notion of kabair? So different ulama, they actually try to figure out what are the particular sins that are listed as the kabair. Alright? And I'm not going to you know, go through all of them. Okay. Now this does this verse should not be misunderstood or in any way be, be interpreted to mean that we have complete permission to do lesser sins because obviously lesser sins are what lead to bigger sins. Anybody who indulges a little bit is in danger of committing a major sin. The more they indulge, the more they're in danger of committing a major sin. And if they regularly, repeatedly, consistently indulge in minor sins, then it's almost inevitable that they will fall into larger sins. So actually the real means to do istinab min al-kabair to stay away from major sins the real manner and mean and means and method to do so, to do that is to stay away from the sayyat or the lesser sins Now, different ulama have tried to figure out what are the kabair, because obviously when this is a hidayah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that if you stay away from these things. So, ulama came up with several principles. One principle is they looked at those acts of disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which in the Quran al-Kareem or the Sunnah of Nabi al-Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam are mentioned with words of very strong wa'id. So wa'id means a very strong wrath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah ta'ala's anger, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's punishment. Wa'id means a you know, the opposite of glad tiding, a very uh, portending of a punishment in the fire of Jahannam. And different ulama then uh, made lists of these and gathered them up. Imam al-Zahabi, one of the greatest muhaddithin, who is Hanbalain Fiqh, he actually wrote a book on this called Kitab al-Kaba'ir, and he lists around 70 uh, major, major sins. All right. Uh, just to give you an idea, uh, neglecting the Fard Salah, not paying Zakah, not fasting in Ramadan, not performing Hajj when one had the means. So the four, the, the major pillars of Islam, if you were able to do them and you didn't do it. Second is within Hukuk al to hurt one's parents, to break off family ties, to uh, commit adultery. All right. Then another set pertains to our societal relations, to give false testimony or to conceal testimony when you could actually have protected and preserved the rights of someone by offering the testimony or to slander and malign others or to steal or to rob from others. Okay. Uh, these are also examples of the kabair. And then uh, their spiritual, if you will, sins. So to have kibar, takabbur, to have arrogance and pride. Imam al-Zahabi included that as well from the kabair. 
right? To have arrogance and pride, and then to deceive people, or to be in a state of self-delusion. And then another thing that Imam al-Zahabi included in this was riya. Riya means ostentation, display, to do things, good acts, virtuous acts, not only for the sake of pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but also, why? So that people will look upon us favorably, people will look upon us fondly. So here, this is just some of the uh, different ones that Imam al-Zahabi mentioned. There was also a Hanafi scholar by the name of Ibn Nujayim, he also uh, had a list of kaba'ir. Uh, many of them were the same. Uh, he added uh, some other ones. Uh, one of the things he added in the kaba'ir was to love the world. Uh, to have hubbid dunya because the Prophet said that love for the material aspects of the world and love for the material world itself is the root cause of all sayyat, of all evil, of all sin. And he also included in that to use any uh, intoxicant uh, whether it's liquor or drugs uh, and and also I should mention that both of them Imam Zahabi, Imam Ibn Nujayim very much also mentioned particular kabair that pertain to ulama ulama who are not righteously practicing so Imam Zahabi mentioned that for a person to seek religious knowledge for worldly reasons whether it's just for financial gain or for worldly fame and Imam Ibn Nujayim said that uh, uh, to uh, for a person who for for a quote unquote alim not to do amal on their ilm is a kabira sin for them. So an ordinary person may not practice their ordinary amount of knowledge. That won't be a, from the kabar. But an alim, a person who is a religious scholar, if they don't practice upon their scholarly knowledge, according to Ibn Najim he viewed that also to be from amongst the kabair. Right, and obviously you can imagine the list of sagair or sayyat or quote unquote uh, smaller sins is you know very very large. Uh, but either way, uh, it, this is Allah Subhanahu wa Taala uh, giving us a, a rule, uh, and, and really a means of hope as well, uh, and it also gives us a starting point. And those of us who are making tawbah in the month of Ramadan, the most important thing to make true tawbah is the kabair. First and foremost, you have, we have to leave the major sins that we commit, the big sins that we commit uh, and Ramadan is the perfect month to do that okay and then immediately afterwards so this is why some have also viewed Hasad to be from the Kaba'ir so immediately going back Surah Nasa Surah 4 verse 32 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says uh, we'll talk about envy and you should not desire and covet that which Allah Ta'ala has bestowed out of His grace and fuzzle and karam on to some of you, which is more over and above and that exceeds what has been given to others. Right? So this is a very important thing. And because it comes immediately afterwards, we can perhaps think that this is the first on the list of kaba'ir, that we shouldn't have envy. And some of the ulama, you know, they have different way they phrase it, some say Iblis's first sin was envy, some say his first sin was Ujub, it's sort of, they're all, it's related in his case uh, because his envy for Nabi Adam came because of his conceit and vanity about his own self. Alright, now we skip to verse 35 uh, 
after again more ahkam pertaining to men and women and marriage and stuff in verse 35 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving one guidance that if you fear divorce if you fear separation if you fear breach between the two spouses and if you fear shaqaq a separation dissension breach between the two spouses then what you do you should send an arbitrator to settle, decide, judge, adjudicate between them from the from the family of the husband and also send a second arbitrator, judge, reconciliator from the family of the wife alright so this also right here shows you the importance of having good family ties. If the husband is not really close to his family, who is he going to select from his family for the delicate task? If the woman is not, wife is not close to her family members, who is she going to select for this delicate cast? task. And also this is important of having noble elders in one family. If the wife's uncles and grandfathers and to protect anyone, I'm not talking about anybody in particular, but if, if her uncles and grandfathers are not people of wisdom and not people of sabr, not people of hikmah, how will they fulfill this role? How will they be able to do arbitration between the husband and wife? If the husband's elders and uncles and family members don't have softness and wisdom and gentleness, and how are they going to serve as arbitrators? between the husband and wife. So there are a lot of things in our deen that are dependent on our whole system of having multi, especially you can think that the teachings of collective living in deen require more than just independent individuals who have virtue, but in order to f- realize and fulfill the collective teachings or the teachings of collective living of deen, we need to have collectivities, whether it's families, communities, societies that are also a virtue. And if you don't have that collectivity and you just have you know scattered individuals then a lot of the virtues that the sharia wants humanity to have a lot of the noble things peaceful things means of like this peace and reconciliation between husband and wife that the sharia wants to exist doesn't exist many places because we don't have the collectivities that are able to do this and then allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now um, this is okay, the third party arbitrators, two of them. Then Allah mentions another thing which you can extract a very important rule from. In Yurida, if the two of them, the husband and wife, the two spouses, truly do intend and wish what? Islahain. If they truly want Islah, if they truly want that Sulah should be created, if they truly want that the bond that Allah Ta'ala had placed in them because they did nikah with one another in His name and for His sake, if they want that bond of love and mercy and compassion to be restored and they want to be reconciled with each other and they truly wish that, then Allah Ta'ala will cause Tawfiq, and here it's from you know Muafaka, Waqf, Wafq, Allah Ta'ala will cause a joining between their hearts, between the hearts of, between the two of them. Alright? So it depends on us. It's a general principle, so not just in this issue of reconciliation. If it you it is truly in your irada, if you truly sincerely want something and you follow the path that Allah Ta'ala has laid out for you in the Quran, Sunnah and Shrib to obtain it, then Allah Ta'ala will grant it to you. So if they truly want it and they follow this Quranic teaching and each of them appoints an arbitrator from their family, Allah will join between their hearts. 
Khabira. And indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-knowing and all-aware. He knows everything that happened between them. He's completely aware of everything that has been said between them or they said about each other behind their backs. Alright. In verse 36, at the end, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to mention a category of people. And then in verses 37, 38, Allah Ta'ala is going to describe who those people are. And it's very important for us to know those people and their descriptions so that we try our best never ever to become from amongst them. So the end of verse 36. Inna laha la yuhibbu man kana mukhtalun fakhura. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not love. And some of the ulama say that this is the strongest word in Quran. La yuhibbu. Because the ultimate relationship with Allah ta'ala is that we are his lovers and he is our beloved. And our dream is that he becomes our lover and we become his beloved. So the greatest calamity to befall any member of humanity would be this that Allah does not become their lover, that Allah does not love them, he does not make them his beloved and who is Allah saying this about? Man, anyone and every such one, kana who perpetually is what? Mukhtalan fakhura. so Mukhtalan means proud and arrogant and fakhuran means boastful so we would want and we should make dua that Allah Ta'ala protect us from ever being from this. But we need to understand what it is. And here Allah Ta'ala will explain the next two verses who they are. Alladina, who are they? Who are these people who are mukhtal and fakhura? Number one. So there will be uh, three things Allah Ta'ala will mention about them. Number one. Yabkhaluna wa ya'muruna nasa bil bukhli. Number one is that they are stingy. And they actually enjoin upon other people that they should be stingy as well. So bukhul. Now the first meaning of bukhul stingy is obviously when it comes to money. That they don't want to spend their money. They don't want to give in charity. Maybe even they're trying to shortchange their zakat. I remember, you know, you'd be surprised how many people go to muftis and they try to avoid zakat. They say, oh, do I have to pay zakat on this? Do I have to pay zakat on that? You know, just like people, wealthy people of the world, they hire tax lawyers to try to find loopholes to try to pay as little taxes as possible. There are people who try to do this with muftis so they can try to pay as little zakat as possible. Allahu Akbar Kabina. Hmm? Whereas there's a lot of poverty and a need for everyone to pay their full maximal. If you ask me, a person should f- pay their full maximal zakat that could possibly potentially be due upon them. As opposed to trying to find some type of loophole or other legal opinions which could minimize it on them. But the second part is ajib. And they even enjoin others and counsel others to be stingy. Oh, why are you spending on your family? Oh, why do you want to pay rent? Oh, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Oh, why are you going for Umrah again? Allahu Akbar. Hmm? This is the first way Allah Ta'ala describes who? Those people who are man kana muhtalan fakhura and what Allah Ta'ala say about them in Allah la yuhibbu. Allah Ta'ala does not love such people. So Alhamdulillah, again, Ramadan is a month where Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam himself increased in his nafil sadaqah and enjoined others that the complete opposite to this ayah is the paragon of excellence Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
the complete opposite of stinginess, purely generous. And so we should, through following his sunnah, and through the people understand this, following his sunnah and emulating him is where our salvation lies. When we follow his sunnah and emulate him and try to become generous and invite others to generous, we'll be saved from falling into this attribute of, of becoming bakhil, a very uh, a super bukhul person, and we will be saved from falling into the category of mankana muhtal and fakhura. Second, وَيَكْتُمُونَ مَا أَتَاهُمُ اللَّهُ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ And they conceal, I mean it's related to the first part, sorry, it's a continuation of the stinginess, and this is the height of their stinginess, that they try to conceal the bounties and blessings that Allah SWT has given them. Lest people expect them to give charity or be in philanthropy or to help them out, or lest even their family and children expect them that, oh, if he has so much money, surely he would spend on us. So they're so stingy, they don't want anybody to know that there's a different way somebody may do this with a different niya. They may, you know, hide from others their wealth because they're humble and they don't want to be viewed as from the elite economic class. That's fine. This is different. This is being done out of the bukhah. So that they don't have to spend Allah per kabira. Hmm? Can you imagine such a person like that? And the way Allah is describing it is also very important that it's Allah Ta'ala's fadl. Ma atahumullahu min fadli. It's not their earning, not what they amassed. It's what Allah Ta'ala bestowed upon them from His fadl, from His infinite bounty and grace and generosity. Alright. And indeed we have prepared for those who deny our blessings. A punishment that will be severely humiliating. Okay, now then the second description of Mankana Mukhtalun Fakura. Second description. And they're also who are these people? And also they are those who Yunfikuna Amwalahum. The flip side. They spend their money. But why? In order to show off to people, to be seen by people, to be noticed by people, to be viewed and deemed, to be charitable and philanthropic by people. Allahu Akbar. So over there they were called kafirin for denying the blessings. Now Allah is saying, What did the person do shirk? No. Is the person doing ibadat of ghairla? No. Did the person do kabair? No. What did the person do? They spent money. That just gave charity. But they did it in re'ah. To be seen by people. So Allah is saying about such a person, So this is not the nafi of the nafsi iman. Allah is not negating their actual core belief. Allah is negating the kamal of their iman, the perfection of their belief. Means they're not worthy of being considered, of having perfectly believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the moment, and, and it's also the hal, and when they're in this act of spending not for Allah Ta'ala's pleasure, but rather for people's praise, it's as if they don't believe in Allah Ta'ala. Alright? وَلَا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَلَا بِالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ And they seem like they don't even believe in the Day of Judgment, they don't realize the day will come. And then Allah Ta'ala describes about such a person who's giving philanthropy and wealth and charity in order to be seen by people. And whomsoever for, who, who has taken shaitan as their karinan, a intimate companion who is near karin, his clinging, clinging companion. Fasa'a karina. Indeed, evil 
is shaitan as a companion. So that means this person is shaitan as a companion. So it shows you, just these two ayahs make it clear how important it is we have to learn from our deen about money. Earlier, remember, Allah mentioned tijara with taradin. Here, Allah is mentioning about charity. So actually, you know, these are two things. Uh, these are the two aspects of the description of uh, the people who are proud and boastful. Alright, verse number 40. In Allah, la yadlimu mithqala dharra. Allah subhanahu will not wrong anyone, be unjust to anyone on the day of judgment. Mithqala dharra, even the slightest weight of an atom. Dharra, you can call the smallest particle possible. So subatomic particle, quark, however you want to call it. It means not in the slightest whatsoever. وَإِن And in fact, if there are any... Hasanat, good deeds written in that person's record, Allah Ta'ala will, you can say, Yudha'if, Ha can literally mean double it. It can also be multiplied manifold. And Allah Ta'ala will bestow upon such a person from his own self Ajan Adima, a tremendous reward. Okay, then Allah Ta'ala mentions the Day of Judgment, uh, something we did earlier as well in Quran. فَكَيْفَ إِذَا جِئْنَا مِنْ كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ بِشَهِيدٍ وَجِئْنَا بِكَ عَلَىٰ هَأُولَىٰ شَهِيدًا That how will it be? Imagine that tale of painting, portraying a depiction of that Day of Judgment. So how will it be when we, yani Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in all his might and majesty, brings forth from every ummah a shaheed, means their nabi. And then we will bring you, Sayyidina Rasulullah, you singular, yani you singular, Sayyidina Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as a witness on all of these prophets. And what will happen on that day? Yoma, and then, Yawaddu alladheena kafaru wa asal rasoolah. Specifically, now about the Prophet prophetic authority, that on that day, those who disbelieved and disobeyed in the Prophet will wish that they will wish the earth was just leveled with them, that they would just be flattened along with the earth. So, this makes it clear that there are two aspects of our deen Iman and Ita'at. Iman and Itaat in the Prophet And this is, these are two separate things. So it's not just enough to believe him in him, وسلم, as a Prophet, but then say, oh, I only obey Quran. No, the Quran Kareem, Allah Ta'ala Himself is telling you, you will only be obeying, and it's going to come a little bit later, you will only be obeying Allah Ta'ala and Quran Kareem if you obey the Prophet So this is one of the many, many verses in Quran Kareem that establish the hujiyah or the, you know, the proofs of the authority of the Sunnah. As Shaykh Mufti Taqiyya Uthman has written a whole book on this in English that you can read. Verse 43, talking about that do not even go near the salah and while you are in a state while you are in a state of intoxication until you can know what it is that you are saying okay so those of you who would remember this that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prohibited a liquor and alcohol in three stages in Quran the first was that oh there is some uh, good in it and bad in it, but the bad is greater than the good. So that was an ishara indication that you should leave it. Second was this verse that okay, it's haram to pray 
uh, in this situation. And finally, then, was the complete and absolute prohibition of liquor, alcohol, all intoxicants of any kind, natural or artificial, synthetic, uh, in every sense, absolutely. And Allah referred to them as a ritual and a shaitan, that they're an abomination from shaitan. Okay? Here we get another thing, however, is that it's very important that we know what we're saying in Salah. So the reason Allah Ta'ala is giving here, now remember when Allah Ta'ala gives a reason, the reason He gives alone is not necessarily the only reason. It means there can be infinite reasons why. Out of Allah Ta'ala's knowledge and wisdom, He has prohibited intoxicants, and specifically here at this stage of Quranic revelation, was prohibiting a person to go near Salah while they were intoxicated. One of those infinite reasons from His infinite wisdom is, Hatta ta'lamu ma takulun that you should not approach the salah until you know what you're saying. But this makes us realize that how important it is to know what we're saying. So this means two things. Here it means, because sukara means that your awareness will be numbed because of the intoxicant. So what happens to us? We are in the, we are sukara, we are intoxicated in our worldly thoughts. We're in a state of ghafla. Our mind is scattered, our mind is wandering. Such that we're not even aware of what we're saying. We're saying, We have no idea even what we said. We won't even talk to any human being like that. And we're addressing Allah SWT, Al-Malik Adim, reciting so fastly. We're not even awareness of what we're saying. So it's very important that we should, we should understand this ayah in a spiritual sense. That we should try... Before we approach the Salah, we should make ourselves aware. We should try to remove the intoxication of the world. And Allah has placed so many things in our deen to help us to do that. Making wudu to freshen ourselves up. Listening to the call of the Adhan. Answering to the caller of the Adhan. Entering the masjid for the men. All of these things are to remove our intoxication with the world. And if that doesn't work for a person, then spend one or two minutes before the Salah trying to warm up, trying to empty your mind and heart of worldly thoughts, trying to fill your mind and heart with thoughts of Allah And then once you commence the Salah, during the Salah, throughout the Salah, until the end of Salah, you have to fight this battle with your worldly thoughts. You have to fight this battle to keep your awareness, your cognizance, your focus on Allah And one of the best ways is to be aware of what you're saying, to learn Quranic Arabic or to learn and you can't learn the entire Quranic Arabic, at least to learn and memorize the meanings of what it is that you recite in Salah. Alright? Later on in this verse is the famous eye of Tayammam. Comes the, uh, the, 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 the phrases uh, of Tayammam. Next is verse number 45, Surah Al-Nasal Surah 4, verse 45. So Allah knows best who are your enemies, and therefore if you are true and Allah knows who they are, you don't have to go after them yourself. And Allah is sufficient as a protector and guardian over you. And Allah suffices entirely as a helper to you. So this is a verse that also can be recited when faced with enmity and hostility of any kind. This can be a weird uh, for such situations. Now skip ahead to verse 48. This is another very famous ayah of Quran Karim. Inna Allah and indeed Allah Spalta will never ever on the day of judgment forgive. In this world, if somebody does shirk and they make tawbah and they accept tawheed, Allah Ta'ala forgives them for it. In fact, you all know that Nabi Akrim sallallahu alayhi wa said in the hadith that a person who repents 
and enters Islam, Allah Ta'ala removes every sin they ever did. They become pure, immaculate, chaste. But on the Day of Judgment, Allah Ta'ala will not forgive an yushraka bihi that any partners, rivals, deities who had been associated with him. And other than that, But he may and can forgive all that is other than that, but for whomsoever he wills. Alright? And this is the notion that a person shows up on the Day of Judgment with unforgiven sins. So there's a separate thing that there may have been some sins that Allah Ta'ala forgave in this world. That is not entirely Yasha. That is also partially uh, based on whether the person made istighfar, made tawbah, repented, changed their ways, corrected the matter, etc. But even then, ultimately, Yasha still falls. So even a person follows all of the teachings in this world for seeking forgiveness and repentance, ultimately it's up to Allah Subhanahu if he chooses to accept that from them. But we, it is our hope because of the way Allah Ta'ala, and we've done a few verses and more will come, the way Allah Ta'ala says and describes in Quran how he does accept repentance and he is Ghafoor and Rahim, it is our hope that if a person follows the process outlined in Quran, then surely, certainly Allah Ta'ala will forgive and send his mercy on them because he has used such words as surely and certainly. But on the day of judgment, if somebody shows up with a sin that they had not yet obtained uh, ask forgiveness and done repentance for in their worldly life, then will they be forgiven by Allah Ta'ala out of His mercy for that sin on the Day of Judgment? Allah Ta'ala is saying here, He can forgive any sin other than shirk on the Day of Judgment that went unforgiven in this world and unrepented for in this world, but He will do that for whomsoever He wills. Whom, who He will to do that, maybe He will look at that person's ikhlas, maybe He will look at her amal, there could be many things, and this is up to Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. Alright Next verse Very very important Very very important verse 49 Okay Alam tara ila ladhina yuzakkuna anfusahum That don't you see It means that don't you gaze in wonder and astonishment at those people who claim and profess that they have purified themselves. No, rather it is Allah Spanta who purifies whomsoever He wills. And no person will be wronged on the Day of Judgment as much as Fatila is if you know you open a date and you take out the seed and sometimes you see this slight little thread, uh, almost like a hair, little thread on the date seed, that is Fatila. Again, it's just, it's just an Arabic expression of a, not even in the slightest. So what it learns here is that nobody should view themselves as muttaqi. Nobody should claim that I'm from the muttaqin. Nobody should claim that I have done, I've attained tazkiyah, I've attained tahara, I've attained this rank, I've attained that level. No one should think that. Second, no one should claim that because of my istighfar and my tawbah, I've done my tazkiyah. Or because of my ibadat and my a'mal and my mujahada, I've done my tazkiyah. No, Balillahu yuzakki man yasha. So who is the one who does tazkiyah? Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala does tazkiyah of whomsoever he wills. It's not that you can do it if you want. Allah Ta'ala will grace you with, with purification if he so wills. And nobody will be wronged in the slightest. Alright, 
Now we're going to skip a fair number of ayahs, looking at 58 and 59. Verses 58 and 59. Inna Allah ya'murukum an tu'addul amanati ila ahliha. And indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded you that you must return and render all of the amanat trust people deposit to you to those who are the genuine owners of that trust okay so the first meaning of this is obviously literally if somebody deposits something with you as a trust second is there are many relationships that the hukuk uh, the rights that are due to each party on the other is an amana right so once the wife accepts the proposal and enters nikah with the husband then the rights that she has over the husband and that are due upon the husband to give her is an amanat now that he has to give it to her all right children the rights that they owe their parents is an amanat on them they must fulfill that so this is another one of those master usul master principles like we did it about commerce this is about interpersonal relations all right and you can see these major major things coming very early in quran al-kareem in terms of the uh, order of recitation that we do it in second thing in this ayah about justice wa idha hakamtum bainan nasi an tahkumu bil adl and whensoever idha means every single time whensoever you and here you is plural it's not just about the prophet sallallahu you believers you judge between people you adjudicate matters between anas people that an that that each and every one of you should judge and adjudicate be al adl with the absolute justice all right and this is also something this is why in our deen and you're going to see this in the next verse also the way allah ta'ala conceived of our sharia is it's a jurist law in other words, there will be people who are judges, fuqaha, qadi, faqih, mufti, the jurisconsult, the judge, the scholar of Islamic law. All right? Inna laha ni'ma ya'idhukum bi. And indeed it is excellent, ni'ma, it's so beautifully excellent what Allah Ta'ala is advising you to do. So the thing to have justice is a wonderful thing for humanity. In Allah Kana Sami Ambasira. Indeed Allah Subhanahu wa is all hearing and all seeing. He is the ultimate, so to speak, hearing of justice and seeing of justice, right? So they say no, justice has ears, justice has eyes. That was a phrase people came up with later. This is actually already Allah Subhanahu is mentioning this. Then, ya, it's another 59. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu ati'ullaha wa ati'urrasoola wa ulul amri minkum. That, oh, you believe, you must obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, obey the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam, and a third group of people, wa ulul amri minkum, and those who have authority among you. So it means the Quranic understanding is that after Sayyidina Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in this ummah, there will always be a class of people who are people who have authority over you and what will they do they will be hakams they will be judges and adjudicators who will decide between humanity and they must do so how they must do so on the basis of justice so again the notion of a jurist law so that's the first meaning a second meaning of ulul amri can also mean uh, in a political sense so political sense mean those who have wilayat amma 
right? So the true virtuous Islamic ruler. Then they have an authority over us uh, and we have to obey them. Okay? Then Allah Ta'ala mentions a very important thing that whether it's judges who are doing hakam, whether it's rulers who are doing amr, who have sovereignty and command, there may be differences and disagreements of opinion. That if all of you, any of you disagree ever in any single matter, however slight it may be, then you must refer it back to Allah Ta'ala and the Messenger If indeed you truly do believe in Allah Ta'ala and the coming of the last day, and that is the best matter for you and the most noble and virtuous, excellent way to do the ta'wil, means the way to do the uh, final determination. So, obviously, in the lifetime of Sahaba Ikram, radiallahu ta'ala, sorry, in the lifetime of Sayyidina Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa the Sahaba would refer back to him. But the Quran is a universal text. So it's telling this ummah that you must refer everything back to the Quran and Sunnah. Right? And that is the best way for us to come at any type of determination. Alright, move ahead now to verse 62. So verse 62, Allah subhanahu wa is talking uh, again about a class of evil people, alright? And sometimes what happens is people who do evil, who spread fasal, who spread corruption, who spread sedition, when they get called out on it, instead of accepting that they were evildoers and trying to spread fasad and fitna and slander, they try to act as if they were noble. So Allah Ta'ala has mentioned this phenomenon in Quran. فَكَيْفَ إِذَا أَصَابَتْهُمْ مُصِيبَتُمْ بِمَا قَدَّمَتْ أَيْدِيهِمْ And when a calamity and a disaster befalls them due to literally what their hands set forth, means due to what they did prior. And then the calamity and musibah and disaster comes afterwards. ثُمَّ جَاءُوكَ Yahlifun. Then they come to you, Nabi Akram, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, swearing. So there's a particular, uh, you know, historical incident here which I'm glossing over. But what is this, the way they swear? Billahi, by Allah subhanahu wa taala, in aradna illa asano wa tofika. We did not intend anything except for asan to create husn, beauty, virtue, nobility, excellence with tofika in trying to reconcile and join between people. So Allah Ta'ala says about such people, Ulaikaladina Yatlamullahu Mafi Kulubihim. And these are those people, these are those ones who Allah Ta'ala knows what is in their hearts. So they can make their false profession as much as they want. Allah Ta'ala knows what is in their hearts. So what do you do with such a person who has evil intentions, evil actions, causes disasters, spreads sedition, and then they try to profess that they had only noble things. So the first thing is you can rest content that you know that Allah Ta'ala knows what is in their hearts. And second, فَأَعْرِذْ anhum. You should turn away from them. Don't engage them. That's the first meaning, but then the second two will be a form of engagement. The first thing is فَأَعْرِذْ anhum. Second, وَإِذْهُمْ And you should do wa'at to them. You should advise them, counsel them. And third, وَكُلَّهُمْ fi anfusihim قَوْلًا بَلِيغًا That you should admonish them and you should, you should state to them uh, concerning their own selves 
Golan Baliga, a word that would penetrate into their hearts. Alright? So you sort of admonish them. So these are three steps. First you must turn away from them. Then you try to counsel them so they realize. And then third is if that still doesn't work, then you will address them with words that will penetrate into their heart and call them out and expose them. Alright? Here. Then verse 64, again a verse on the authority of the Sunnah, authority of the Prophet And we, Allah says, Allah my might and majesty and mercy did not ever ever send any messenger at all except that they ought to be obeyed with the permission of Allah subhanahu wa that if indeed the people, uh, when they wronged themselves, when they committed a wrong, injustice, sin, such that they wronged themselves, they come to you, singular Prophet and they ask forgiveness from Allah Ta'ala, and then the Prophet also asks forgiveness for them, then certainly they will find that Allah Ta'ala is oft turning and relenting and accepting the repentance and Rahimah is all merciful and loving and compassionate. Right? Now some of the ulama, so this is again a particular incident, uh, but some of the ulama have said that look, how do we do amal on this verse of Quran? Because we're not able to go to the Prophet and ask Allah Ta'ala, so there's nothing in the verse about them asking the Prophet to forgive them. They went to the Prophet but they asked Allah Ta'ala for forgiveness. And there's no mention of the, the Prophet forgiving them. The Prophet also made dua to Allah Ta'ala for their forgiveness. So it's all about Allah Ta'ala. Some ulama they felt that when if Allah Ta'ala blesses anyone to ever go to Medina Manawra Masnabwe for ziyara at the Rose Atar of the resting the noble uh, garden of Jannah and resting place of Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam they can make they, this is a reason why a person to make istighfar there because that's the closest we can do Amal on this ayah is our coming to the Prophet was not when he was alive on top of this world in that sense, but the closest we can come to do Amal on this ayah is to come to him and go to him in his roda and seek Allah Ta'ala's forgiveness. Okay. Verse number 69. Again, talking about the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَمَنْ يُتِئِ اللَّهَ وَالرَّسُولَ فَأُولَٰيكَ مَا الَّذِينَ عَنَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ مِنَ النَّبِيِّينَ وَالسِّدِّكِينَ وَالشُّهَدَاءِ وَالصَّالِحِينَ And whomsoever obeys Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and as a separate distinct act also obeys the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam فَأُولَٰئِكَ any and every such people ma'a will be with alladheena all of those people an'amallahu that Allah Ta'ala has sent his special bounty blessing and favor alayhim upon them men from whom an-nabiyyin they will be with all of the prophets and messengers alayhim as-salam ajma'in was-siddiqeen they will be with all of the most virtuous and true followers of the prophets radiyallahu ta'ala anwajmain and they will be with shuhadai the people who gave their very lives for the sake of Allah ta'ala and deen and with salihin they will be even with the 
salihin. So one meaning that the ulama have understood from this verse is if this person who obeys Allah Ta'ala and the Prophet is being told that you will be with salihin, shuhada, siddiqin, and nabiin in akhirah, it means that maybe they did, they did obey, but even then they, weren't, they didn't reach the level of salihin. And they weren't shuhada and didn't reach the level of Siddiqin, and obviously no one is Nabeen after the Prophet. But there's a notion that at least if we obey, then Allah would join us. So we may not have attained the rank of Salihin or Siddiqin in this world, but we simply obeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet. We obeyed the Quran, Sunnah, and Sharia. Allah will place us with them. So what does it mean? In one sense, obeying means you. Reach the rank of the muttaqin. It means that we used to obey Allah Ta'ala and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We used to follow Quran and Sunnah and not commit sin. But maybe we didn't have time to do extra ibadah. Or we didn't do any da'wah of deen. Or we didn't do any khidmah of deen. Or we didn't do any khidmah of Allah Ta'ala's creation as makhluk or humanity or society. We just simply lived our lives in obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet wasallam without much extra ibadah or dawah or khidmah and therefore we didn't enter the ranks of the Salin or Siddiqin. Allah saying, okay, but if you obey, as long as you obey, in akhirah I will put you with them. Ma'a, ma'a, fa'ulaika ma'a. And such people who simply obey Allah Ta'ala and the Prophet they will eternally be in the companionship ma'iyya, in the suhbah, in the, in, the, in, the, in the presence and companionship of the Nabiyeen. And that, you know, that includes obviously Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So this shows the importance of obedience. And again, this is something, alhamdulillah, that happens to a person in Ramadan. They obey Allah Ta'ala, they fast. They obey Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, they pray. They obey Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, they try to stay away from sins. They obey the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, they try to follow the Sunnah more. And then Allah Ta'ala describes the, the, the collective uh, of these four categories of prophets, truthful, martyrs, and righteous by saying what? وَحَسُنَ أُولَيْكَ رَفِيكَ And noble virtues and excellent are those as Rafika. Hmm? Rafiq means, and I did this earlier as well, intimate, near, those you have marafaka with, intimate, near companions. ذَلَكَ الْفَضْلُ مِنَ اللَّهِ And that, Allah Ta'ala making a simple, obedient believer to be in the companionship eternally with the prophets, that is al-fadlu, is the tremendous bounty and blessing and grace min Allahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wa kafa billahi alima and it's Allah is sufficient, uh, Allah ta'ala is sufficient as an all-knower. He will know who obeys. He will know who does this obedience. Right, so that was verses 69 and 70. Then we move ahead to 79. مَا أَصَابَكَ مِنْ حَسْنَةٍ فَمِنَ اللَّهِ That whatever good befalls you, whatever hasan, whatever virtue, nobility, excellence happens to you, is from مِنَ اللَّهِ is from Allah SWT. وَمَا أَصَابَكَ مِنْ سَيِّئَةٍ فَمِنْ نَفْسِكَ And any evil that befalls you comes due to your own nafs, your own self. And then Allah Ta'ala is addressing the Prophet Sallallahu And we have sent you للناسي, for all of humanity as a Rasul. So this is why then, not only is it our duty in Dawah to present the Tawheed of Allah Ta'ala and the Quran to all of humanity, it's also our duty to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to present 
who was the Prophet ﷺ and what were his teachings, the seerah and sunnah to all of humanity. Because Allah Ta'ala said in Quran that He sent the Prophet as a Rasul for all of humanity. And Allah Ta'ala Himself is sufficient as a witness. Means if all of humanity, let's say, obviously that wasn't the case, the Sahaba Quran believed in the Prophet, we believe in the Prophet, but let's say no one even believed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone is sufficient to bear witness and testify that Muhammad ibn Abdullah, Muhammad Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is Rasulullah, is the Prophet and Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then again, man yuta'il rasoola faqad ata' Allah. The Salah said was coming. That whomsoever obeys the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it is surely tantamount to, equivalent to, as if Allah, he has obeyed Allah Ta'ala thereby. And anybody who turns away from what? From obeying the Prophet to be sent you as a Rasul, we've sent you as a Rasul, but we have not sent you, we have not sent you, singular, Prophet upon humanity, as a guardian over them. You can't force them to obey. Okay. Here and then in 81 when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the people who still plot and plan against the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the end of verse 81 Allah ta'ala again gives that same usul فَأَعْرِذْ anhum, Then you should turn away from them وَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ And put all of your absolute trust and reliance only and only upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَكَفَى And sufficient, entirely sufficient is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the wakil, as your guardian. Okay, so verse 82, a very important aspect, uh, teaching about the Qur'an al-Karim itself. That then do they not ponder Quran, upon Qur'an al-Karim? So this word, tadabbur. So tadabbur means that once you understand the Qur'anic wordings, and you understand the Qur'anic meanings, you reflect deeply. You take the meanings of Qur'an to reflect about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, about the meaning of life, about existence, about yourself, about your purpose. And they're very important because, you know, you know, it, it, Alhamdulillah, it's a great blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even to do some level of translation, some level of commentary. But don't think the job is done. Even if we had entire translation, entire commentary of entire Qur'an, there's still more. There's tafakkur, there's tadabbur, there's application, there's living it, there's embodying it. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying. This is another level then, which goes beyond translation and commentary. Tadabbur, tadabbur, right? To deeply ponder, contemplate, reflect on Quran and make the Quran enter the core of your thought processes in your mind. Make the Quran permeate the core of your emotions and feelings in your heart. Make the Quran determine your personality and character. Make the Quran dominate your outlook on life itself. All right? The second aspect, uh, which is specifically being mentioned here in terms of its particular occasional revelation, is Allah is also saying that look at the literary style of Qur'an. Look at the meanings of Qur'an. So if they're not sure whether Qur'an is kalamullah, if they're not sure if Qur'an is the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, let them simply ponder on it. 
Why? Walokana min indi ghayrillahi lawajadu fihi ikhtilafan kathira. That if, if the Quran had not been revealed from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and if it had been revealed from some source other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? And this is a challenge to the Orientalists and the atheists of today, or in those who deny Islam as well. That if you, because that means they're claiming that the Quran, as we have it and has historically existed, is not revealed by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So what's the thing is okay. Then if it had been from any source other than Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, then surely they would have found in the Quran Al-Karim ikhtilaf and kathira, much contradiction uh, in it, and they can't say that. All right. Then. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, I'm just going to do a pluck out one thing in the middle of uh, 83. So if you remember before, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, uh, in an ayah we did before, that you must refer every matter to Allah ta'ala and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So here in the middle of 83, Allah ta'ala says, وَلَوْ رَدُّهُ إِلَى الرَّسُولِ That if... They had but referred the matter to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa ilal amri minhum and if they had referred it to those who have authority from amongst them. So these terms came before. This is a particular historical event. I'm not doing that. I'm plucking out the general teaching of this ayah. If they had but referred the matter to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam so in our case we would pluck it out means it to the sunnah where the ulul amri minhum or had they simply referred it to the fuqaha the jurist the ulama la'alimahu alladheena yastambitoonahu minhum then those who are able to do istimbat so istimbat means that those who are able to infer and draw and derive the true meaning and conclusion from the matter right لَأَلِمَهُ surely أَلَّذِينَ يَسْتَمْبِتُونَهُ مِنْهُمْ How can I translate this? أَلَّذِينَ those who مِنْهُمْ from amongst them who يَسْتَمْبِتُونَهُ are able to draw and derive correct meanings and proper conclusions from a matter لَأَلِمَهُ would have known and recognized and understood it they would have reached the ill right? But then Allah is also making it clear that despite your ability to drive such conclusions, always remember, Were it not for the fadl, the infinite grace and bounty and blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon you, and His infinite mercy and love and compassion for you, Surely all of you believers would have ended up following shaitan, except for very few. Allahu Akbar Kabira. So it's not just about our ilm, even, and you will find us often in Quran Akram, even when Allah Ta'ala acknowledges some role of our ilm or our amal, immediately He will level uh, us so that we don't have any vanity or pride or conceit, and He will always remind us that everything is ultimately always due, not to our own ilm or amal, but ultimately due to the fazl of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and His rahmah on us. Verse 85, a very important thing to encourage us not just to do good, but to invite others to good. Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, مَنْ يَشْفَعْ شَفَاءَةً حَسَنًا That any person, it literally means who intercedes for a good intercession, any person who tries to advocate a good cause, what will happen? 
يَكُنْ لَهُ نَسِيبٌ مِنْهَا They will have a share in the reward for that. So if you invite somebody to pray salah and they pray, you will have a share in the reward of their prayer. If you spread charity in this world, you will have a, you, you a means of someone spreading charity. You will have a means and you will have a, a share and a portion of that. At the same time, وَمَنْ يَشْفَعْ شَفَاءَةً سَيِّئَةً يَكُنْ لَهُ كِفْلٌ مِنْهَا And then if there is a person who advocates the shifa'ah, this is very strong. If you remember, we all hope for shifa'ah. The Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, inshallah, ameen. So it's a very strong word. That's something, it's not interesting. Advocates very strongly, such that they propagate it, right? What? A sayya'ah, an evil and a sin. But somebody else does it. Somebody else commits it. But they advocated it. They pushed it. They pressurized them to do it. They, right? So then that person who was advocating it will also have a portion from that sin. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ And indeed Allah SWT is a keeper and guardian over each and every single thing. So this is why we should also make dua to Allah SWT. Ya Allah, never let me, let, never let me or any of us become a means of sayyah. A means in which somebody does something evil or wrong or sin. And it will increase our ability and everyone in the ummah's ability to be a means of guiding others to hasana and noble and virtuous things. Now immediately after this Allah Ta'ala mentions a very simple teaching. Outwardly simple. But it shows you the importance of this which is greeting. That if ever and whensoever you are greeted with a greeting, then greet back with that which is ahsan, which is even more virtuous, noble, and better than it. Oh, or at the very least, return it in kind. So somebody says, Assalamu alaikum to you. Try to say, Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. At the very least, say, Wa alaikum assalam. If somebody says to you, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, try to say, Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. But at the very least, say, Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Okay. It goes beyond, however, just the sentences. If somebody greets you with a smile, then you should return the greeting with an even bigger smile or at least the same expression. If somebody greets you with a certain amount of affection, you should greet them back with a greater amount of affection or at least the equal amount of affection. So it's not just the sentences and the words. It can be the expression of smile or you know sparkling eyes and it can also mean the feeling of affection and warmth. That indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is accounting of each and everything. The manner in which you greet, the tone and tenor in which you greet, the words you use to greet. And if Allah ta'ala is doing such a detailed accounting of greeting, then imagine how much Allah ta'ala takes account of whatever interaction follows that initial greeting. Hmm? But it's a general principle for our life that we should try to be better to those who are good with us, but at the very least, we should be as good with them as they are good to us. So this is uh, ending, complete the first half of the fifth juz, and this completes our talk for tonight. Inshallah, tomorrow we will also resume uh, the series on the du'as uh, of the Prophet But for tonight, we end here. Wa akhir da'wana, and alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin.